Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him, strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the, of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, on September 22nd, 2015, uh, I had a second interview with the pulpit committee for Harvest Community Church. Some of you here uh, were there that night, and I am still grateful to you. Thank you. Um, I'm very delighted to be here. And during this interview, I will never forget, uh, Jairo Silva asked me a question. He said, tell us about your experience with missions. Now, I will admit this question caught me a little off guard. There are websites you can go to and find questions that you should be prepared to answer for a pastoral interview and questions that you should bring to ask to the church. And I had uh, done my homework, but this one had, had slipped off my radar and I hadn't thought about it because the thing about it was that missions had never really been totally my thing. You know, I went to seminary, I took a class in seminary on missions, and I had people that I went to school with who were committed to missions. They grew up on the mission field, maybe, or maybe somewhere along the course of their lives, uh, they had this pull to go somewhere and to reach a certain people with the mission, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, But this had never been my focus. This had never been my goal. I had been on mission trips in the past, but again, it's it never been quite my thing. And so I tried to answer the question as best I could. I, you know, I said, just honestly, genuinely, I think missions needs to be something that all of God's people care about in one way or another. And I don't know what else I said, but then we moved on to the next question. But that question particularly stuck with me. Of all the questions that I was asked during that time, that's the one that I've really thought about since that time. Because here's one of the undersung pleasures of being a pastor. When you're called as a pastor, you're called to teach. But then you come into a church, a church with a, a history, with a heritage, with things that they have focused and experiences they have had and relationships that they have formed, and you get the joy of learning so much along the way. I've never been in a church that is so passionate about world missions as Harvest. Never in the course of my life. I've grown up in the church. I've been in a lot of different churches. And we've always supported missions. It's always been there, but it's always been someone else's thing. And one of the things that I have learned by being at Harvest is that missions is everybody's thing. 
In one way or another, whether you go, whether you support, and certainly all of us should be praying because missions is all of our thing. And so this morning as we study Psalm 96, as we reflect on this, I hope you had a chance to come to at least some of the missions conference, the missions fest this week, as we've reflected on this fact. Well, Psalm 96 is going to be the anchor to think about not only that missions should be our thing, but why? To do missions for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. To correct wrong motivations, wrong goals, and to understand the beauty and the glory of the one whom we serve when we say among the nations that the Lord reigns. Our big idea today then is this, that the gospel of God summons the world to worship. The gospel of God summons the world to worship. Three parts to our sermon this morning as we study Psalm 96. God is our gospel, first of all. God is our gospel. Number two, God's worship is our goal. God's worship is our goal. And then number three, God's kingdom is our gladness. God's kingdom is our gladness. So number one, God is our gospel. In the first six verses of this psalm, we have a call to worship. Uh, this would work uh, very well and a call to worship for any of our services. It starts, notice, with three commands, three imperatives that we should sing. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. By new song, the psalmist isn't necessarily telling us that we have to be endlessly composing new music, although that could be a part of it. Uh, but in fact, what he's saying is that the Psalter that we have even is, is sturdy, it is reliable, it is ongoingly valuable to sing. We sang two psalms this morning. These are still songs that we can sing as we bring this new song. Uh, to sing a new song isn't about how recently the psalm was written or the hymn was written. To sing a new song means to sing with a fresh appreciation, a, a fresh joy as we reflect again on God's new every morning mercies. It means that today we have new reasons to sing that we didn't have yesterday, that we didn't have a week ago, that we didn't have a month ago, a year ago, seven years ago, a decade ago, and longer. We keep experiencing fresh aspects of the Lord's grace, and we should sing about this and bring this into our worship. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Now, now if we stopped here, we'd have a great opening line for our call to worship. And this, we could just sort of focus on ourselves and everything would be uh, great from our perspective, perhaps. But the psalmist isn't finished. He continues in the second line to expand the scope of this. He says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. And then a little bit later, he's going to say, declare his glory among the nations. Now, in the Psalter, when you're considering the earth, the nations, the world, all the peoples of the earth, very often you're talking about the enemies of God. Very often you are talking about those who persecute the church, those who attack the church, those who undermine the church, those who betray the church. But here, the scope of what the psalmist is doing is calling us to call the nations, all the earth, not to remain as the enemies of God, but to come with us, to join us in singing to the Lord. And this is surprising if you're reading the Psalter up to this point in time, as we've thought a lot so far up to Psalm 96 about the enemies of God. Now suddenly these enemies are called to lay down their weapons and join in our worship. Sing to the Lord, verse 2, Bless His name. 
Now we see what we are to do, to bless God's name. As we talked about last week when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, that petition, hallowed be thy name, when we pray about the Lord's name, when we talk about the Lord's name, this is not merely what God is called. This has to do with His person, His character, His word, His works, His worship, everything pertaining to God. We are to bless everything about Him. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. And particularly then at the end of verse 2, we are told, tell of His salvation from day to day. Now, this, this word tell is, is not quite as evocative as what the word is actually getting at. If you, if you do a search about where this word is usually used, almost always in the other places where this word appears, it's describing uh, the act of a, of a herald who's come back directly from the front lines of a battle, a great war that has been fought. And this messenger comes and runs all the way to declare the news, the tidings of what has happened on the battle lines. They didn't have cell phones. You couldn't read about it on Twitter and watch it as it's unfolding on live YouTube video. You would have to have someone who would come and tell what God has done. And here we are not hearing about a defeat. We are hearing about the Lord's salvation. Tell of His salvation from day to day, the great victory that He has won. The church is called to be the heralds coming from the front lines, having seen from the eyewitnesses what God has done in the gospel and we're to tell that, to bring tidings of God's salvation to a hungry, desperate, dying, dark world. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among the peoples. When we think about God's glory, the word for glory in Hebrew is the word for heaviness or weightiness. It's also the word for liver, because your liver is the heaviest organ in your body. So it has to do with this idea of weightiness, significance, importance. You can't live without a liver. All of this is kind of tied up in their idea and thinking about uh, glory, God's weightiness, His heaviness. You think about Paul talking about the eternal weight of glory. He's writing in the Greek language, making a play on words from the Hebrew word of what glory means. We're to talk about the weightiness of God. He is not vain. He is not um, insufficient. He is not nothing. He is not light. He is not to be treated lightly. Declare His glory. Recount it. Enumerate it. List out all that He has done. And again, with a universal reach among the nations, among all the peoples. Well, in verses 4 and 5, we get these two four clauses. Uh, these sort of phrases that explain why we are trying to draw the world into our singing, why we are telling the world of God's great salvation. For, here's why, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Then another four statement in verse five. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. You see the contrast. Our God, Yahweh, is great. He is greatly to be praised. But the gods of the nations, the idols of the world, these are worthless idols. And it's a great translation. It's this idea of nothingness. God is glorious. He is weighty. These are insubstantial. They are light. They are nothingness. But whereas the idols of the world have nothing to offer, our God made the heavens. He created by the word of His power. And then in verse 6, we read words that are fitting for a king. 
Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Again, as we've talked about, as the world has been talking about, we have a new coronation coming up. The throne of Great Britain passed immediately from Queen Elizabeth II to King Charles III. Although he is immediately the king, there's going to be this great coronation, a coronation that hasn't happened for 70 years. And we're going to see splendor and majesty, strength and beauty of a great king. But as great as that king is, he is nothing compared to Yahweh. Splendor, majesty, strength, beauty in the presence of the Lord. Now this week, if you got to come to the missions conference at all, especially if you came on Friday night, and then also on Saturday morning, we talked about these other countries, especially where we have missions partnerships. We talked about Mexico, we talked about Romania, we talked about Colombia, we ate food from Ghana and India where we have these missions partnerships. And especially if you were there on Friday night and got to eat some of this food and Saturday morning as we had breakfast to eat some of this food, it was a wonderful time to learn about foreign nations and foreign cultures and foreign peoples and to sample their cuisine. Some people get a bug for missions because they want an adventure. They want to travel the world. They want to see the sights. They want to taste the food. But the reason we talked about these things was not so that we could be a travel guide, not so that we could give you a suggested way to tour the world by missions trips and have a destination vacation in Ghana or India or wherever. We were doing these so that you could understand that there are peoples around the world who don't yet know about Jesus. They eat this food. They live in these places. They have these cultures. But missions is not about travel. It's not about experiences. It's not about culture. Missions is ultimately about God. Psalm 96 reorients us to this foundational truth that missions is about God. God is our gospel. Missions then is fueled as we worship this great God and want to make His fame and salvation and works known throughout all the earth. If as a church we get so wrapped up in discipleship, so wrapped up in programs, so wrapped up in even ministry and missions itself, in these activities that we forget about God, we will completely miss the point. We go to the nations not to have an adventure, we go to the nations because these are filled with peoples who are in desperate need. Whatever idols they are clinging to, these idols are worthlessness, but our God made the heavens. Worship then is the fuel, the motivation, the fire for missions. It reorients to the goodness and the gospel, the good news of God himself, the splendorous, majestic, strong, and beautiful king. God is our gospel. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of the nation's praise. The nations are languishing in worship to these worthless idols, whereas we know the true living God. Declare then His praise among the nations. Sing to Him a new song, all the earth. But toward what goal? What are we trying to accomplish in missions? Worship is not only the fuel. Worship is not only the motivation, the fire for missions. What the next section tells us is that worship is the goal of missions. When we go in mission, we are trying to bring worship to God in places where He is not yet worshipped. So our second section is that God's worship is our goal in verses 7 through 9. 
If you remember, uh, verses 1 and 2 started with three commands. Oh, sing, sing, sing. Now we read ascribe three times over. Ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. This word means to give something to God or to credit something to God. And earlier we read first what we were to sing to the Lord. We were to sing a new song. Now the psalmist goes straight to who should be ascribing to the Lord in verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Now, family is a word that can refer to whole nations. You might think of a nation as an extended family. But on the other hand, this word for family is a very important word in the Bible. Because in Genesis chapter 12, when God was calling Abraham to follow him, to leave his home, to leave his father, his father's household, to leave his land that he would inherit upon his father's death, to leave all of this behind, to go to a place he had never been, a place he had never seen, and to go to that place to follow the Lord so that God would make of him a great nation even though he did not yet have a child. One of the things that God promised Abram in Genesis 12 verse 3, God said, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This then is the overflow of that. This then is moving toward the fulfillment of this. That in Abraham's offspring, Every tribe, language, people, and nation from all over the world will be blessed. All the families of the earth will come to ascribe to the Lord what? Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. To worship Him for His glory, His weightiness, His heaviness, and in His strength. To ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. And notice what the psalmist says. The families of the earth are to bring an offering, to come into his courts. Now, in the Old Testament, this isn't just metaphorical language. All the, the Israelites, whether they were Gentiles who had converted to become God-fearers, Gentiles who worshiped the Lord, or whether they were part of Israel, they were to come three times a year to worship in Jerusalem, and they would bring their offerings to Jerusalem, and they would worship there in the courts in the temple of God. Gentiles had to stay a different place than the Jews, but, but they would all come to the same place to offer their sacrifices. They were to bring worship to Him, and that's what we read in verse 9. Worship the Lord and the splendor of holiness. This isn't just splendor like light or something that looks impressive. It's talking specifically about clothing. The splendor of holiness refers to the, the priestly garments that Aaron would wear and Aaron's offspring would wear as they ministered before the Lord in the tabernacle and in the temple that we are to tremble before Him, all the earth. What these last lines are telling us is that the purpose of missions is to bring the people to worship the Lord. But the imagery here is Old Testament imagery of bringing animal sacrifices to a particular place where God had set His name to Jerusalem, where the temple was, where God's people all gathered together three times a year. They made the long journey from wherever they were coming to bring their sacrifices before the Lord. In the New Testament, God tells us that all of these types and shadows uh, of, of worship in the Old Testament were to give us a picture of the coming Messiah. 
So that the purpose of the picture was to point to a person. And once that person, Jesus Christ, came into the world, these pictures were no longer necessary. No longer were animal sacrifices needed because Jesus offered himself as the final sacrifices. No longer did the, the priests need to wear the splendor of holiness because Jesus Christ offers his people the robes of his righteousness by faith. These pictures are no longer necessary because Christ has come to fulfill it all which means that God has prepared the church living after the New Testament for a new age of missions where we aren't calling people to come to Jerusalem once a year. We are to go into the far corners of the earth and to establish centers where people can worship God there, to plant new churches which don't require a technical, complicated training for how to sacrifice animal sacrifices where rather we just need a Bible, we need water for baptism, and we need bread and wine for the Lord's Supper. And that's it. And we have these things and we can go to the ends of the earth. Worship is so portable now, but the goal is the same. Everywhere we are going, we are leading the families of the peoples to tremble before the Lord, to tremble before the Lord all the earth. Now, it's important to recognize that God's worship is our goal because it's very easy, not just from a desire to maybe go and travel the world and have an adventure, but some people want to go to different places and do good things to offer humanitarian aid. Now, we believe that mercy ministry is an important part of the mission. It's an important part of what Jesus did in his life. But we don't think that mercy ministry is the end of it, just meeting people's immediate physical needs. Mercy ministry is not just physical, it is drawn into the spiritual mission of the church, which has its ultimate expression in not just meeting people's physical needs, but in leading them to fulfill their ultimate spiritual needs of worshiping the Lord. And if we miss that, it doesn't matter how good our programs are to reach the ends of the earth. If we're not leading others to worship God, then we're missing the point. The summer after I graduated college, I worked that summer at a textbook warehouse. I thought it'd be fantastic. I'd be surrounded by books all the time. It was really boring and miserable. But I did it for that summer where every 15 minutes, these books would come in. And I had a very tiny section of authors. I think it was like B-I-S to B-O-L, like just authors in that tiny shred of, of author names. And I would get the same books every 15 minutes, and I'd have to go put them on my shelves, and I'd have to make sure that my shelves were tidy uh, to make sure that when the pickers would come through to, to, to pull these books off the shelves to fulfill some order and send that off to some university somewhere, that they were easy to find. You know, we had five uh, that we would put the spines out and five that we'd put the spines in, and, and it was easy to see how many you were picking at any given time. And every 15 minutes, then it would start all over again. We'd get a new shipment and we would go and put those on the shelves. Well, one day, I don't remember what happened if people were sick or whatever, another section got behind. Maybe I got to venture to the luxurious G's or H's of author names. And I remember we had to go help and to put this stack of books that had piled up every 15 minutes all day onto those shelves. And so as I was going, there was the end of the day, we had walked 
umpteen bajillion miles, just back and forth, back and forth. We were all tired, and I recognized there was a place where it wasn't very tidy. And I'll be honest, I was tired. And I sat down, and I started just assembling these just to get through, work out my time. And I had a friend who came up. He was a fellow believer. He's a wonderful man. We did some Bible studies together. And he said, you know what? This isn't the time for that. What's most important right now is to get these books on the shelves. We just need to get them on the shelves. They can take care of that later. In an eternal perspective, we can do all kinds of things that might be important in some sense, but if not ultimately needing people to worship the Lord, to tremble before Him, O oh, families of the peoples, then we're not doing what is ultimately important. Missions, as much as we do mercy ministry and some of these other things, missions is ultimately led to bring every man, woman, and child to worship before the Lord Jesus. It's making worshipers where God is not worshipped. God is our gospel so that worship is the fuel for missions. Worship is our goal so that we are trying to make worshipers through missions. We proclaim then God and His glory so that all the families of the earth may worship. All the families of the earth may worship. Now, in what sense are the families of the earth to come? We read that they're to tremble before Him all the earth. And if you've read the other parts of the Bible, there were other gods who claimed this. At least their empires claimed this on their behalf. That these other empires claimed to subjugate peoples, to bring nations to their knees and worship to the gods of Assyria and Babylon and Greece and Rome. All of these empires were coming to subjugate the nations under their feet. Is that what God is doing? Is He coming as a cruel tyrant to subjugate the nations that way? Well, what we find in this last section is God is not running an empire to just crush nations under His feet, to bring them under His subjection. God is the king over a kingdom. Not coming to enslave the peoples, coming to liberate peoples who have been in bondage, in bondage to false gods and false empires. So this is where we read in, in, in this third section, that we think about God and, as a king and God's kingdom. We see that God's kingdom is not our misery, God's kingdom is our gladness. So look at this last section. Ten, say among the nations... The Lord reigns. Now again, this could be said in so many different ways. The Lord reigns. What is this supposed to evoke? Certainly some aspect of trembling and the fear of the Lord before Him. But notice that we are to say among the nations, not just that line, as important as that is, which gets at the idea of Yahweh as the King, the King who is reigning. We're talking about the King and His kingdom. But look at what else we are to say. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Now, if you're reading this and you're reading carefully, you might say, well, how do these things fit together? What does the Lord's kingship have to do with the establishment of the world and the coming judgment of the world? Maybe the judgment of the world makes sense if he's the king. The king would judge, that makes sense. But what about this creation aspect? Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. Well, uh, Marvin Tate uh, points out in his commentary, he says what God is coming to do and, and what all f uh, gathers these three statements together is the idea that God is coming to set things right. So the king in his kingdom has created the world and, and creating the world, he's established 
a stability to creation. He has established an equilibrium to his creation. But what has messed all of that up is human sin. Human sin has subjected all, not only peoples, to sin and misery and oppression of sin, but sin has even subjected creation itself to groaning because of sin. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 8, verses 19 through 22. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Creation languishes in futility as creation waits to have things set right. So when the Lord comes to judge the peoples with equity, He is coming to reestablish that equilibrium that God first created the world with, and that God is going to bring into even greater fulfillment when He comes again to judge the earth. And so look at the response in verses 11 and 12. When the Lord comes to judge, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar, and all that fills it, let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the field sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples and His faithfulness. He's coming to judge. He's coming to judge all the earth in righteousness and faithfulness. Now, this day of the Lord, we are told elsewhere in Amos 5.18 that this will be a day of darkness and gloom. It'll be a day of great judgment for those who have set themselves against the Lord and against His anointed King, the Lord Jesus Christ. But on that day, there will be no longer any rebellion because God will set all things right through King Jesus, the judge of all the earth. So one final misconception of missions to address is that sometimes people want to go somewhere else, not necessarily to have an adventure, but because they're trying to find themselves It's a time of personal discovery. I want to go do something where I can figure out who I am. Understand, that may happen. You may gain a greater appreciation for who God has created you to be, for how God has created you to serve. But ultimately, missions is not about you. It's not about finding yourself. It's about finding something much bigger. It's the joy of finding God's kingdom. And to helping peoples who are yet estranged from God's kingdom to find the joy of God's kingdom as well. Now Psalm 96 then, let's summarize this and let's apply this. I want to reiterate, I think God has blessed Harvest with a holy zeal for world missions. I I really have never been a part of a church that loved and took ownership of missions as much as Harvest does. And I've had a privilege of being on different mission trips with Harvest to see some of this up close, to see some of the close partnerships that we have formed, to see some of the many works that this church is supporting, both in prayer and finances, as well as in going to these places, in evangelism and discipleship and leadership development and church planting and the establishment of schools and Bible translation. As the church here in Omaha, Nebraska, is playing a part in God's work of reading, reaching many tribes, languages, peoples, and nations. 
But this weekend has been a time to clarify why we do that. Why missions is so important. It's not for travel, for adventure, to see the world. It's not to have wonderful foreign experiences. It's not to have our righteousness to be seen by others, as Jesus warns us against in the Beatitudes that we've been studying. It's not for simple humanitarian aid that's focused on world, this worldly needs, as important as that is in, in, in the mercy ministry we do. That's rather connected to worship, as we talked about. It's not about personal discovery. It's not ultimately about any of these things. We labor in missions for the glory of God that is brought about by establishing worship where worship does not yet exist and for the sake of His kingdom, the King and His kingdom. God is our gospel. God's worship is our goal. God's kingdom is our gladness. Therefore, we are to declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods as we lead them to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, to tremble before Him all the earth. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice, for He will one day judge the world in righteousness. Particularly then, what all of this is about, what the Old Testament foreshadows in some of these Old Testament manners of worship, is that we labor in missions to make the Lord Jesus Christ known. Because you see, in eternity past, God decreed that He would save a people through His Son. The Father elected that He would save a people in His Son. And the Son elected and freely chose that He would come into this world to take upon Himself the form of, the servant, of a servant, to suffer and die. And the Holy Spirit in eternity past freely chose that He would take what the Son accomplished in the person of Jesus Christ fully God and fully man, and that the Spirit would take this and apply it to God's people whom God elected before the ages of the earth were, 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 were taking place. In Jesus Christ, God revealed the fullness of who He is so that whoever has seen Jesus Christ has seen the Father. In Jesus, God atoned for the sins of His people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. In Jesus, God has delivered His people from sin, death, and the devil through the crucifixion of Christ and through His death and burial and through His resurrection from the dead on the third day. So that in Jesus, God has liberated His people from bondage to worthless idols behind whom demonic forces lie. So that in Jesus, God will raise up from the dead all who have put their faith in Christ. Because of this, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. And for those of us, this has been the pressing point of the Missions Fest this weekend. Consider how the Lord might enfold you in His work of missions. Again, you might be like I was. Uh, it's just not my thing. God says it is your thing. Psalm 96 is for you. All of us are called into the great mission of God to declare the gospel of God in a way that will summon the world to worship. The question is not whether this is your thing or not. The question is how God will use you in mission. Are you called to go? Are you called to financially give? Or are you called to pray? Or all three of these things. There's evangelism, outreach, discipleship, church planting to do. There are diaconal mercy ministries that are not just 
a non-governmental organization meeting this worldly needs. These are connected to the spiritual needs of worship. There's leadership development to do to raise up indigenous leaders so that they can reach their own tribes and languages and peoples and nations with their own languages and their own cultures. There's Bible translation to do. 90% of the world's languages do not have a fully translated Bible. Only 700 out of the 7,360 world languages have a Bible. There's translation to do to tell of the Lord's works among all the peoples. As a church, Harvest exists solely Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone, which means that this is our thing. This is what we do. This is our soul. This is why I'm so thankful to be a part of Harvest, because we must, as we have done in the past, continue to declare His glory among the nations. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 10, verses 14 through 17. As we think about reaching the world, about making worshipers, summoning the world to worship, the Apostle Paul writes, how then will they, all of these peoples throughout the world, in their cultures, in their places, eating their foods, speaking their languages, how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This is why we must sing to the Lord a new song. This is why we must draw the nations to sing to the Lord all the earth as we tell of his salvation from day to day, as we declare his glory among the nations so that all the ends of the earth may come to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, to tremble before Him, to bow down before the King who reigns. The Lord reigns, and He is coming in judgment. And God has made it our thing to bring this news to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would continue to empower and support the worship of your church through the mission of your church to make Jesus Christ known and beloved and worshiped wherever he is not yet. And so we pray that you would continue to raise up people even from this church to go. And you would continue to raise up funds to fund this work. And you would continue to lift up intercessory prayer from your spirit working and groaning in the souls of your people to see Christ exalted as the king is reigning in his kingdom and establishing his kingdom here on earth. We pray all of this in Christ's name, our king who is reigning until the day when he will come to judge all peoples. Amen.